Now, we're going to begin um, a series of four uh, studies through the month of July in the Old Testament book of Ruth. And uh, if you've got a church Bible, uh, you'll find that on page 222. We'll read the first bit of the story, and then I'll uh, speak about it. Ruth chapter 1 on page 222 of the church Bibles. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabites' wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. And so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now for the next four Sunday mornings, as I said, we are going to study together the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Now summer Sundays work against a kind of systematic study through a Bible book, so I'd encourage you uh, to listen online if you're not able to be here on Sundays. It is an unfolding story, each part relating to the other. It will be, for many of us here, a familiar story. It'll be entirely a new story for some of us here. For those of us for whom it is familiar, I want to ask you, as I've asked myself as I've prepared this, how familiar is it really? It's a hard book to pin down. It's a hard book to pin down what its central message is. So let me have a go right at the start and let the cat out of the bag. This is what I think Ruth is saying to us, the book, its message. Trust and obey God, and you will have security and reason to hope. That's uh, what I think the message of this book is. Trust and obey God, or come under the wings of God, which is uh, chapter 3 in the book, which is a picture of turning to trust and obey God. Trust and obey God, and you will have security and reason to hope. So let's say, as we turn to chapter 1, ask for God's help. Let me pray for us. Our Father, our prayer is that we trust and obey you, and therefore find security in you and reason for hope. Now that might mean turning to you and trusting you for the first time. It might mean turning back to you because we have turned away from you. And it might mean keeping on trusting and obeying you, whatever our circumstances. So will you help us by your Spirit to trust and obey you that we might have security and hope in you? We ask this in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen. Now, you'll see inside the service sheet that uh, I've put some headings down that try to mirror the structure of this narrative and its content. Of course, we're not reading a story. As Christians, we would believe that we're reading God's Word, and these events happened. So the headings, in a sense, describe the structure of the story, but the events described are what matter. So, you'll see there, number one, what I've called bleak times and bad decisions. There's a cheery title for us. Bleak times and bad decisions. Uh, The opening words of the book of Ruth set the events described in context. Just uh, read them with me again. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. In the days when the judges ruled was a bleak time for the history, in the history of the people of God. In fact, it was probably the bleakest time 
full stop, bar none, in the history of God's people. God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. God had made a covenant commitment to them. He had said things like this. These are some of the things God had said to them. He said, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. He said things like this. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God had brought his people out of Egypt. He had made these promises to them. He had led them to a promised land where there was food and provision for them. And all he had asked from them and of them was that they trust him and obey him. And they had done anything but they had turned away from him and God had judged them, punished them justly. In their desperation, they had cried out to God for help and God had raised up judges. The word judge means ruler or deliverer. And that period in history of God's people is described in the book called Judges, which precedes Ruth. And at first, the judges restored some stability, but that cycle of turning away from God and disobedience returned, a, a downward spiral that continued through the book of Judges, and the end of the book is the bleakest and lowest point. Judges chapter 9 describes uh, how a, an old man gave hospitality to a younger man in a town called Gibeah. In the middle of the night, a group of men from the town beat on the door of this old man's house and demanded that they send this young man out to them so they could rape him. I mean, it, the Bible doesn't shy away from shocking stuff. And the old man said no, but he sent out a girl, a concubine. I guess we might understand that it is his wife. And they raped her, and they murdered her. And there was a kind of civil war that broke out in the land. People were so shocked, and you could understand that. And the writer of the book of Judges wants us to be in no doubt as to why things had sunk so low. Just look back in your Bibles one page to the last verse in the book of Judges. This phrase is repeated throughout the book of Judges. The reason things had gone so bad, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So the book of Ruth begins with this phrase, in the days when the judges ruled, these were the days when there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And there was famine, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, in the land. And we're meant to see and understand that the famine that had come to Judah, to Israel, was a consequence of God's judgment on his people. Now, that's the background. So Ruth begins, in the days the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. In the days the judges ruled, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Amongst God's people, God's holy people, God's covenant people, in God's holy land. Amongst God's holy people, stuff like this was going on. And God's judgment had come. So what on earth has that got to do with us 3,000 years later? 
Well, as Christians, as the church, what does it have to do with us? Well, bleak times for God's people. God's judgment on them because they had turned away from him and disobeyed him is not restricted to the Old Testament and to the Old Covenant. So let me come at it this way. As Christians, as the church of Christ in the world, has God given us much? He has given us much more than God gave them. God has given us his son. God has given us a king who is king and head of the church. God has given us his word in its fullness, its sufficiency. God has given us everything we need for salvation and obedience and life. But he still calls for our trust and obedience. And he still judges his people, the church, for their lack of trust and obedience. And so we should not be surprised if we find ourselves as the church in bleak times. Somebody at the wedding yesterday asked me, a man from Germany, why do you think it is, you are a minister, why the church finds itself in bleak times? I should have launched into a sermon on Ruth. It's a good question, though. And we should listen to and take to heart in the church these words in the days when the judges ruled, when the people of God had no king, when the Lord Jesus is not the king and head of his church, and people do what is right in their own eyes, within the covenant community of God, within the church of God, we should not be surprised if there is famine spiritually in the land, because God has not changed, and we are his people still. Now, this is all big picture grand stuff. What's this got to do with me and you as individuals? Does it matter how I live as a Christian? Who is the book of Ruth about? It's not about kings and nations and Israel and Judah. It's not about King David. King David is a tiny little baby. The last words of Ruth about the same size as Matthew. Tiny little boy. The book of Ruth is not about King David or King David's greater son. In the days of the judges, the bleakest time in the history of the people of God, the book of Ruth is about an ordinary family of nobodies. Naomi, Ruth, Orpah, Boaz, Elimelech, Ruth's son Obed, his son David, ordinary people caught up in extraordinary events. So let's look at this family. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. They are real people and they are real life. Now, surely there is some sense in their decision. There was no food in the land of Bethlehem. And we don't understand in the West what famine is. It's serious stuff. 
There was no food. And so, humanly speaking, their decision was not unwise. They went off to this other country, to Moab, and it must have been a big deal. Imagine any of us as families going to live in another country. We were on holiday in Butte last weekend with Sally's parents, and we met a number of Syrian families, a guy who looks after the Syrian families, refugees, and the wrench must have been significant. And it wouldn't have been easy for them to go from their homeland in Bethlehem in Judah to Moab to search for food. But whatever Elimelech's motivations or intentions, this was a bad decision. And the point is made in the text, why was it a bad decision? Because he left the land God had given them. He went to Moab and God had said, do not go there. His name, Elimelech, means the Lord is my king. But his actions tell a very different story. He should have stayed in Bethlehem and Judah. It was hard. There was famine in the land, but he should have stayed. He should have trusted God, obeyed God, but he didn't. He made a bad decision for his family. He did what was right in his own eyes. He turned away from God. And I suspect that if you had confronted Elimelech with that truth, that he had turned away from God, he would have strongly contested that. But he had, because he had gone against God's word. And in all sorts of ways, we are at risk from this. The only objective reference for the church, I guess, today in the Western world is the word of God. It's the only objective thing we've got. It's the only thing we've got to live by. And Elimelech went against God's word. To trust and obey God, however hard it is, whatever the consequences of that may be, is the only way, is the only way we can be secure and have hope. It's the only way we can be secure and have hope. The only safe place to be is under the wings of God. The only safe place to be is living by the word of God. There can be no other security. There can be no other safe place. Elimelech made a bad decision, and for a long time, things seemed to be fine, I guess. They settled there. They remained there at the end of verse 2. But then Elimelech died, verse 3, and Naomi was left with her two sons. They married Moabite wives, Orpah and Ruth were their names. And uh, then note the words at the end of verse 4. They lived there about 10 years. One of the lessons we need to learn, I think, from the book of Ruth is that the consequences of decisions, good or bad, are not necessarily, indeed it would be fair to say, usually they are not seen quickly. The consequences of bad decisions or the consequences of good decisions can take lifetimes or generations Yesterday at the wedding, it was a, a happy day, and there were all sorts of wonderful... It's a point, you see. You know, Emily's dad died when she was 12. Of course, that, that was a feature of the wedding, and rightly so. But I, I was learning at the reception about a great-grandmother. And this woman had come as a, a kind of alien into Britain during the war as a German. Difficult context. She'd met somebody, fallen in love with them, and been converted. And she prayed. She prayed for her grandchildren. And yesterday, of course, there they were, as clear Christians. 
generations later. Good decisions, bad decisions. Now, the point of that is that we might never see the consequences of our actions in our lifetimes. And that is clear, perhaps, in the book of Ruth in terms of the consequence of Naomi's and Ruth's decision to turn back to God, Boaz, obedience to God. What came of that? We'll see this. A little boy, two generations later, was born called David. The book of Ruth begins in the days that judges ruled. The book of Ruth ends, David, little boy who became a king, who gave rise to a greater king, the Lord Jesus. Now, Naomi had lost her husband, but she still had her sons and her daughters-in-law, and then terrible tragedy struck. Both her sons died. And we need to feel her pain. You know, you know these two little boys, I mean, you had Matthew up here today. These are real people here. They held that little, these boys in their arms, and they put them in a grave. It's real life. And this poor woman had lost her husband and her boys. And a widow in the ancient world was a perilous position to be in. And Orpah and Ruth widowed three widows, thrown together by their tragedy. Now, we need to be very careful here. And you need to hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. In the context of this narrative, we need to acknowledge, and these are Naomi's words, not mine. They're her words, that the tragic circumstances she faced, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, found themselves in were the consequences of bad decisions and God's judgment. Now, that's a a complex thing to say, but it's what she says, and we need to be careful not to dismiss Naomi's theology too fast. Look what she says. She says, verse 20, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Naomi means pleasant one, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Lord has brought calamity upon me? What happened in Naomi's life, she says, is God's judgment. Now, we would be foolhardy. I would be foolhardy to explain that away to you and say that bad decisions in life for God's people, whether churches or individuals, do not have their consequences. God is sovereign. Bleak times and bad decisions. Now, secondly, turning back to God and trusting Him. Now, we're told in the text, verse 6, just look at that, the specific reason Naomi, along with her two daughters-in-law, set out from Moab to return to Bethlehem. She had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. She hears that the famine in Judah has come to an end, and it's the Lord's doing. The Lord has visited his people and given them food. We can assume from this that God's people had repented, had confessed their sin, and acknowledged that they had turned away from God. The famine had been how God had revealed his judgment. But as the people turn to God again, there is food. And Naomi faces a critical decision. What will she do? And just as the people of God in Judah had turned back to God, she has to decide whether she will turn back to God. And she makes the right decision. She turns back to God, and it was costly. She would have thought about her return to Bethlehem and what people would say, what the people who had stayed would say. 
And as we read later on, verse 19, when Naomi and Ruth came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And they said to them, the woman in the town, is this Naomi? Is this Naomi? I guess Naomi would have looked gray and old and weary and broken and we can understand that, humanly speaking, given the harrowing events that had happened to her. Now, it is striking, and, and hear me out on this, that Naomi in this bleakest time in her life turns back to God. When tragedy strikes, and I've seen this over the years in, in, in ministry again and again, when tragedy strikes, and of course, tragedy strikes in every family. Somebody else at the wedding said to me yesterday, and it's a truism, isn't it? They they said, behind every family in this room, there is tragedy. Behind every home and every city, every town in the world, every village, there is tragedy. There just is. It it will come. And, And people do one of two things in tragedy. They either turn away from God or they turn to God. And and sometimes in terrible tragedy, people, you see them turning to God, turning to God, because the alternative is so bleak. It is always the right decision to turn back to God and trust Him. Now, as the events play out, we'll see the rightness of a decision. We have the benefit of hindsight. We can see the big picture. She couldn't. She had to make the decision without seeing the consequences. She had to do what was right because it was right. She's like a prodigal daughter, like the prodigal son, who does what is right because it is right. She did not know that Ruth would go with her. She did not know that they would be provided for in the harvest. She did not know that a man called Boaz would be Ruth's husband. She did not know that they would have a son that Ruth would put in her arms. She did not know that that son would have a son called David who would sit on a throne. She did not know that David would have a greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ who died on a cross to forgive our sins, who was raised to life to give us everlasting life, and who reigns on his throne. She knew nothing. She did what was right because it was right. She turned back to God. She comes to the end of herself, and she turns back to God. And maybe God is calling somebody here back. Summer Sundays are always interesting in church. All sorts of visitors are here, and it's like at weddings. You don't know who's there, and you just speak God's Word. And almost certainly someone will be here this morning in church as a Christian, and God is calling you back. You've turned away from Him, and He's calling you back. And it may be that you find yourself in the bleakest of circumstances in your life, and yet even in that, God is calling you back. Why? Well, because He is gracious. Naomi had a decision to make, and so did our two daughters-in-law. Just checking the clock here, don't worry. (laughs) On the journey back to Judah, we are told of these heartfelt conversations Naomi had with her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Tragedy had thrown them together. Ruth, uh, uh, read with me from verse 8. Naomi said to them, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Now, there's, a, uh, there's spiritual meaning in all these conversations and decisions, but this is real life too. Look, girls, you need to go back, otherwise you're not going to find a husband. That's just real life stuff. 
Naomi feels their pain, their loss. She wants them to find love and protection and hope. She knows what it means to be a widow in the ancient world. She knows that if they come with her as Moabite women to Judah, where there are just Jews, there's just no chance. They are going to find husbands. And so she kissed them. And they lifted up their voices, tears flowing down their faces. They wept. And they said to her, no, we will go with you, Naomi. Strong bonds. But she said, turn back, my daughters, on your way, for I am too old a husband. Even if I would have a husband tonight, I don't. And we had a child tonight, and we're not going to do that. You're not going to wait till you're old. Go back. And Orpah kissed her, kissed Ruth, and went back. And Ruth clung to Ruth and went back to God. Now, the point of this, it was costly for Naomi to turn back to God. It was very costly for Orpah and Ruth to turn to God. They're not turning back to God. They're turning to God. They're becoming Christians, if you like, becoming believers. And Orpah said no. She went back to Moab. Ruth goes with Naomi. She said yes. Orpah does not turn to God. Ruth turned to God. Or in our context, Orpah said no to becoming a Christian. Ruth said yes to becoming a Christian. Uh, It's very moving, very powerful. When they lifted up their voices and wept again, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. Ruth clung to her. See, your sister-in-law has gone, gone back to her people and to her gods. And yet Ruth clung to Naomi and these wonderful, wonderful words. If you put any words from Ruth on a tea towel, you know these little tea towels with Bible verses or a picture, you're going to take these words out. But if you take them out of the context, they just lose their power, don't they? Think of the conversation on the road. And then Ruth says this to her mother-in-law, but really she says it to her God. It's not to her mother-in-law, it's to her God. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And what do these words remind you of? Do they not remind us of God's words, his covenant words that we read earlier, where you will go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and I will be your God. I will go with you wherever you go. She expresses to Naomi and to God covenant, faith, and loyalty to God. What prompted Ruth to make that decision? Maybe Naomi's faith and her decision had impacted Ruth. We don't know what Ruth had seen in Naomi over the years. But ultimately, Ruth's decision was made in her own right to turn to God and to trust him. And that day when Ruth made the decision to turn to God and trust him, or that day when Ruth became a believer, humanly speaking, it was the daftest thing she ever did. But she did it because she had come to believe in the one true and living God. And she did it because it was right. So Naomi turned back to God and renewed her trust in him. Ruth turned to God and trusted him. Is God calling you back? Is God calling you to trust him for the first time? 
what will you do? What decision will you make? Let me finish in just a word or two on the hidden hand of God through these events. We'll see a lot more of this next week and the week after and the week after that. The reason I've used the phrase the hidden hand of God is that you do not see often what God is doing, frustratingly so. Remember uh, the book of Ruth's context. Naomi and Elimelech made a bad decision to turn away from God. Generations down the track, 10 years, everything was, and then suddenly they made a decision to go back to God. Ruth made a decision to turn to God. Two generations later, you see the reason of the consequences of their actions, the hidden hand of God. Emily's grandmother would love to have seen Emily stand up yesterday at the wedding and profess her faith in Jesus and marry a Christian, David, but she never saw it. I've just caught the eye of somebody here whose father is no longer with us who would love to see what is happening in his daughter's life now because of his faith. It's a dangerous thing to say, but it's right in front of our eyes. The hidden hand of God. Look at verse 20 again. Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? If I was a pastor to Naomi, I would go into her home with all the caution and care of somebody who has suffered far more than I have suffered. And I would be so very careful what Bible texts I... But I'd say to her gently as her pastor, look, Naomi, things are as bleak as bleak can be for you, but things are not as bad. You're not alone. Ruth is with you. The Lord has brought you back. Naomi uses two words of God, almighty, which means judging God. But then she uses the word Yahweh, covenant, loving, faithful, gracious God. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Naomi went back to a place of security, provision, and hope. And as the story unfolds, Ruth marries Boaz. Naomi is provided for. And one day, Naomi, in her old age, will have a child placed in her hands whose child would become a king. What of Ruth, the decision she took to turn to God and trust him? What a costly decision that God provided for her husband, a redeemer. She knew the Lord's kindness in her life, and she had a son, and Obed had a son, David. Maybe Ruth, and the Bible does not tell us this, but here's my bit of uh, speculation for the day. Maybe Ruth got to hold in her arms her grandson, David who's about the same size as Matthew. I mean, it's real life. And because Ruth turned to God, and because Naomi turned back to God, well, Ruth got to hold in her hands a baby who would become God's anointed king. The message of the book of Ruth, the only safe place to be in life is under the wings of God. That is where security is to be found. And that is the place where the human heart 
can have hope. Hope for the future of the church and hope for the future of our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the message of the book of Ruth. It is a searching message. It is a wonderful message. And we pray, Lord, that not because of what Ruth and Naomi did, but because of the God that you are, that we would find ourselves after today, after being here, under your wings, in that place of everlasting security. Maybe turning there for the first time. Maybe coming back under your wings. And if, Lord, we are in that place of security, trusting in the Lord Jesus for our salvation, acknowledging you as almighty God, and all of life's circumstances are pulling us away, Help us to stay under the shadow of the Almighty, close to you. Help us, Lord, to do what is right because it is right. And to realize, perhaps, that the consequences of our actions may be generations away. We pray, Lord, that you would grant us all fear of the living God. And at the same time, loving security in trusting him. And we pray all that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.